You're listening to the Uncensored Direct Marketing Show. This show is designed for direct response marketers who want raw, unfiltered conversion tips and secrets to scale their offers profitably to reach their next million. I'm Maria Sparagas. I'm the founder of Direct Paynet and your host. Now let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Uncensored Direct Marketing. Today, I'm going to talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, uh, as all things merchant accounts are. Uh, I'll be talking about merchant account fees, reserves, and how to really optimize your structure to get first of all, the best rates possible. Secondly, to save as much money as possible by using a couple of tricks that I have for you. And also um, just going to talk about reserves, how to get them back, how to get them minimized, how to negotiate your reserves. So all these things oftentimes are things that merchants ignore uh, when they get a merchant account. They're just eager to get started and, and get things going that they don't really look at you know, the specific details of, of the contract and so forth. So my goal for this episode is really just to walk you through the main things that you have control over. Um, and certain things that you don't have control over, I'll let you know, of course. Um, and also to, to help you maybe negotiate some better rates and, and really understand what's going on on your merchant statement. Um, so obviously there's, there's, you know, providers like Stripe and PayPal and so forth that have set rates. Uh, so it's important to understand those rates as well. So this is applicable for, for both models. You have less negotiating, you have no negotiating power, I should say with Stripe or, or PayPal, but with your merchant accounts, you do. Uh, and oftentimes if you, you know, if you position yourself strategically, you could actually be paying a lot less with your merchant account than you would with a third-party processor like Stripe or PayPal. So without further ado, I'll jump right into it. Um, and obviously, this is this is a, a huge topic, so I'm going to try to summarize it as best as possible. If you guys have any questions or specifics, or you want me to look at, you know, your statement and and, and perhaps help you optimize, um, for sure, give me, you know, drop me a line somewhere on my website, Facebook, Instagram, or um, or Twitter. So uh, let's get right into it. So in terms of your merchant account, if you take a look at your your monthly statement, you might want to just get a statement ready if you'd like and 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 pause um grab one of your most recent statements and all of these things kind of are applicable to uh to most um merchant account statements you just have to understand the lingo the lingo could change from from statement to statement uh what you'll see usually is something called discount rate so your discount rate is essentially the percentage of your sales that are gobbled up by payment processing fees so that can range by a lot uh it can you know it can be one, two percent. It can be three, four, five, six percent. It really depends on how aggressive your business model is. So the important thing, obviously, is to minimize your discount rate as much as possible. But if you are a very aggressive marketer and your chargebacks, you know, tend to go on the higher end, higher than one, two percent, uh, and so forth, then you may not want to negotiate. It's not the best time to negotiate. So it's really important to know, you know, how much you should negotiate and when to negotiate. If you are in a chargeback program or, uh, you know, you're, you're teetering close to, to having a, a chargeback issue, it's probably not the best time to talk about rates with your processor. Uh, but if you're doing generally well, or if you're starting a new relationship with a new merchant processor, then this is the time to look at these things. The discount rate, there could be three ways that you're being charged. There's flat rate, which is, you're getting charged, for example, 4% on all sales. Um, that is obviously not a very beneficial way of positioning, but again, depending on your business model, that might work. Uh, another thing would be another way of, of being charged would be three tier. So that is, um, cards are either they're called qualified, mid qualified or non qualified. So 
qualified cards are your cheapest. So meaning your regular consumer cards and non-qualified cards are usually business cards, foreign cards, um, just cards that are very high rewards and so forth. Those are non-qualified. So your processor would categorize each of these, um, each of the transactions in one of these three buckets and would charge you a price per bucket. Um, and then the other way and the most beneficial way in my opinion because it's the most transparent and it's the easiest to negotiate when you when you have a very clear transparent pricing which is interchange plus um interchange plus pricing what interchange actually means is the price the amount that visa or mastercard or whichever card network is charging you so interchange rates are actually published online so you can go and look at what the interchange rate is for your merchant category and you'll know that it's for example 0.65 percent for a debit card and 1.2 percent for a business card and so forth and then your processor would say interchange plus 1% plus 2% and so on and so forth. So the reason that that's the cheapest is because debit cards, for example, and local kind of personal cards are relatively cheap to process. So if you do have an interchange plus pricing, you'll always pay a lot less for debit cards and personal cards and so forth. So even if your rate is a little bit higher, uh, let's say interchange plus 2% or 3%, your, your debit cards are going to get under the price that you would pay with Stripe or whatever the case is. So it's also transparent because you know you're paying cost, basically what Visa MasterCard charges you plus a certain percentage. Um, so you can negotiate with that with your processor based on your business model. Um, the other fee uh, that's obviously that you see all the time is the transaction fee. So there's two types of transaction fees. There's an authorization fee, and then there is a credit transaction fee or a sale fee. So you can get charged, for example, 10 cents for an authorization. And that can mean you're just asking if this is a good transaction. It could decline. If it gets approved, you might get another transaction charge. So this can vary. I mean, it can go anywhere between 10, 10 cents or 5 cents on the low end to 30 cents. You know, Stripe, PayPal charge 30 cents per transaction. So, um, and that's for both uh, sale and decline transactions. So your processor may have just one transaction fee. Your processor may have a sale and, a, and an off fee. You're, you might have a separate transaction fee also for decline. So it's important to look at those. And, you know, usually, like I said, between five and 30 cents, depending on who you're working with. Then you have um, your chargeback fees. So that's basically every time you get a chargeback, you obviously lose the money of the sale. So let's say you're selling something for $70, $80, you lose that $70, $80. There's also a fee that's associated to chargeback, which ranges, you know, in the high risk arenas, meaning if you're selling supplements or uh, BizOp or CBD or anything like that, you're usually paying between $25 and $35 on the high end. So obviously trying to drive that fee down as much as possible is, is best for you because there's you know, there's not really any value for you paying that fee. And then there's something called a retrieval request, which is, again, is between five and $20, uh, again, depending on your processor. And that is essentially when somebody calls their bank and asks a question about the transaction, something, uh, something called a retrieval request is launched, not for every transaction, but for, for some. And when there is a retrieval request that comes through, you get charged between five and $20, depending on your processor. Uh, then you have, there's some processors also that have a separate fee for refunds. So if you refund a transaction, you may get charged just a transaction fee, or you may get charged a separate fee. So it's, it's good to be on the lookout for that. And that's a fast one. You shouldn't be getting charged really an extra fee. There is 
no extra cost for processing a refund other than, you know, the transaction fee. So uh, if you're getting charged, let's say 25 cents for a sale transaction, well, you should just pay 25 cents. You shouldn't be paying a dollar or two or whatever, because it's a refund. Uh, then there's the more benign fees that, you know, you have a little bit of negotiation power there is PCI compliance fee or PCI non-compliance fee. So if you're not compliant with PCI, then you might get charged like 50 bucks or 30 bucks or a hundred bucks, depending on your processor. Uh, it's pretty simple to just be certified PCI compliant. You just have to follow like a questionnaire. It'll take you, you know, maybe the better part of 30 to 60 minutes to complete that questionnaire uh, or to do a, a scan online and then you won't pay a non-compliance fee. But just for fun, there's a PCI compliance fee. So in order for you to remain compliant, um, they usually charge like 10 bucks or 20 bucks. So, but the fee is usually a lot lower to be compliant than to be non-compliant. So it's just an important thing to just get done. You have to do it once a year and then you avoid that 50 bucks or 30 bucks, whatever your processor is charging you. Um, and then you have some other kind of benign fees. It's important that you look at your contract, you look at your statement to see, you know, are you getting charged a statement fee, uh, customer service fee, uh, high risk fee. There's, there's all these like kind of fees that could add up to a couple of hundred bucks that usually are not really necessary. So you want, you, you want to minimize those. Um, they, you know, processors and, and just in general in the industry, there's just a lot of fees. They're called different things. It's important to question those fees and to really compare them to your merchant agreement. So look at your statement, look at your merchant agreement, make sure that it matches and that you understand. And, and you know, there's, there's no fault in asking like, why am I being charged this 25 bucks? Like what's that for? Uh, because sometimes it's just, you know, they just kind of have it there as a standard part of the contract. And if you don't ask about it, then you won't get an answer and you won't get to prevent that fee. So, uh, all those kind of benign monthly fees, try to minimize those as much as possible. Uh, obviously you might need like a $10 statement fee or something like that, but everything else is just kind of extra. That's not necessary. Um, last but not least, I mean, there's association fees and cross-border fees. I'm not really going to get into those fees. There's not much you can do. I mean, if you're a U.S. merchant, you're selling to somebody in Canada, you're going to have to pay cross-border fees for that transaction. Uh, Visa and MasterCard also charge something called association fees, uh, which is kind of just to be a merchant accepting Visa and MasterCard. So those are kind of, they're there. Um, you know, if you want to take a really deep dive in those, hit me up. I'm happy to have to geek out on, um, on those fees. There are ways to prevent some of those fees, but you know, for the large portion of merchants listening right now, there's really, you know, you just pay those fees and then just move on. Um, so like I said, it's, it's always, almost always, I'll, I'll never give you a hundred percent answer, but you know, 95% of the time, it's always mostly to your benefit to work with an interchange plus pricing model. Like I said earlier, you have interchange, which is the cost that Visa and MasterCard charge you, and then you get plus a, a fee. So it's plus one, plus two, whatever the case is. You, you'll know where you can negotiate from and you'll know, you know, you'll be able to, to tell uh, where you stand in terms of fees. Are you getting a great rate or not a great rate and so forth? So if you're starting a new merchant account application or if you have a really good relationship with your processor and things are kind of rolling well and so forth, you could ask to be switched to an interchange plus pricing model. It seems to, it's the trend right now. That's how most people are getting priced. When I started direct payment 
12 years ago, uh, we were mostly doing three-tier pricing. That was the way things were being done. And then, you know, it transitioned slowly to flat rate. And then, it, you know, now it's, it's kind of like an interchange plus is a pretty widely accepted way of pricing merchants. So I definitely think that it's, it's, it's the best way and, and, and the most transparent way and the easiest way for you to maybe not reconcile because it, there are a little, you know, there's a lot of pricing tiers, but uh, you'll always pay the least amount when you're, when you're with an interchange change plus pricing model. Um, the important thing to keep in mind is that interchange is, it, it can vary. So it, there's, you know, 180 so, some odd different categories of interchange, and it can vary depending on your MCC code. So your MCC code is your merchant category code. I spoke about that on my chargeback episode a couple episodes ago. So your, your MCC code is basically determined by uh, your processor. Your processor takes a look at your application, takes a look at your website, takes a look at what you're selling and says, you are a continuity direct response merchant and they assign you a code. Um, you do have a little bit of negotiation on what your MCC code. So you can't say, oh, I'm a bookstore, but then you're selling supplements. Like you, you, it can't be something like that, but there are some codes that are, uh, you know, sometimes it can, it can be interpreted in different ways. And if it makes sense, then, you know, you could take advantage of a different MCC code. Uh, I won't get into too much depth about MCC codes, but the MCC code that you're assigned can impact the cost of interchange because different codes have different prices attached to them for processing a card. So for example, a grocery store um, with one MCC code is going to have a lot lower interchange fees than uh, somebody who's selling supplements online. So there's, you know, there's, there's uh, some nuances that you have to keep in mind. Obviously, let's say you're selling adult entertainment, then you are a five, nine, six, seven. There's no negotiation possible because that is the code for um, not safe for work content. So, you know, it, but if you're selling supplements or you have, for example, a health and beauty store and you're selling a lot of stuff, you may want to look at different MCC codes and see what would be benefit you best. Keep in mind that the direct response MCC codes, um, there could be one or two that have lower fees, but conversions are typically lower on those. So there's, I could do a whole episode on MCC codes and what, what their impact is, but there is a very big impact. So if you are, for example, a gambling merchant, which is a 7995 or a 5967, which is an adult merchant, you are intrinsically going to get lower conversion rates just because of the type of product or type of merchant that you are. So Choosing an MCC code has to do with the fees, obviously, that you're going to pay. You try to choose the MCC code that's the lowest, but also you having a non-high-risk MCC code can benefit you in other ways, like meaning it can benefit you if you pay a little bit more in interchange, but you have a non-high-risk MCC, you might have higher conversions. So um, that's that's my that's my spiel about MCC codes. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that you can you know that changes in your business by being assigned different MCC codes. So pay attention to that, and your interchange cost, like I said, is um, one of the things your MCC code um, affects. 
The other thing is your interchange costs can be affected by the anti-fraud measures or the prevention measures that you put in place. So for example, if you have 3D secure transactions, um, you will pay a lower interchange cost and it could be significant. Like I'm talking, you know, between 0.1 to 0.5% sometimes on the high end, you can save, you know, let's say half a percent in cost. That's huge. If you know, you're whatever amount you're doing, it's, it's just extra money. So if there's a way to have 3D secure in your cart without kind of interrupting the, the flow, then do it. There's plenty of providers out there that offer, you know, seamless 3D secure integrations. I know there's like 3D secure has a bad rap uh, because of the first version that was launched that was really wonky and, and had like a, an external website entering passwords. It doesn't work like that anymore. 3DS is actually very seamless. European merchants uh, now have to use 3D secure for certain transactions. And, you know, obviously they're, they're, still people buying in Europe and there's still, uh, you know, online commerce. So, um, if, Find out if there's a way you can integrate 3D Secure. Look at specifically different providers, seamless integrations um, that just look at data points, AI-based systems. There's there's tons of stuff. And, you know, you might pay a small fee, 5, 10, 15 cents, whatever the case is. But number one, obviously, it'll prevent a lot of chargebacks, which will lower, um, you know, you'll save you a lot of money. And secondly, it'll lower your uh, interchange costs in, in certain in certain MCCs. So it's, it's a worthwhile thing. Same with CVV and AVS. If you do these checks, if you check CVV, AVS, you, you, you could be subject to lower interchange rates because you're doing more verifications. And obviously, your bank and your processor um, see a transaction as less risky, they're willing to uh, charge less for it. So keep those things in mind when you're looking at um, your cost structure and interchange. Obviously, this is really deep when you get into uh, a certain level uh, of processing. You These these things are huge needle movers. You know, a merchant who's doing seven, eight fingers a month, saving half a percent on their interchange is huge. So you know, start somewhere. Don't, you know, don't negotiate uh, interchange rates right away with your processor. But once you have a good relationship, these are things that you have to learn and you have to understand this is what's going to get you to the next level when you're, um, you know, when you're trying to kind of not the low hanging fruit, the higher hanging fruit, uh, but it's, it's easy stuff anyway. Um, so talking about, you know, reserves and, and uh, sorry, I, I shouldn't say reserves. So talking about MCC codes, um, the, the last thing I want to say about that essentially is that a different processor will categorize you in a different way. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. So if you have two accounts, for example, and one is MCC code this and the other one is MCC code that, and they're both applicable to you, um, it could allow you to have the best of both worlds, meaning you can test out different things and see if there's one that responds to your uh, customers better, like a higher conversion rate or um, you know, better subscription uh, handling and so forth. So keep that in mind. And the best time to obviously negotiate your MCC code or talk about it is when you're starting your application. Once you've been processing for a little while, it's it's a little bit of a tougher sell to go back to your processor and say, hey, by the way, I think, you know, I'm not this MCC code, I'm this. It's possible. I mean, you could, but, um, you know, if, if they feel fairly confident that they assigned you the right MCC code, they, they won't want to change it. Um, now, getting to another layer of fees and, and, and ways that you can save money is a lot of merchants in direct response, specifically selling supplements, selling, um, you know, any type of digital courses, biz ops or anything like that are usually subject to reserves. 
So reserves are a very common thing during a merchant account application. Uh, everybody hates them. Nobody wants to part with 5-10% of their money for no reason other than to make the bank feel secure. But it could be a very easy way or, I mean, not easy, but if you want to start a relationship with somebody, you're scaling, you need a couple of more merchant accounts, uh, you need backups and so forth, offering a reserve or not fighting a reserve will help you get your foot in the door. Now, it doesn't mean that once you get the reserve that it's applicable for the life of the account. Obviously, if your chargebacks are in good order, things are rolling well with your account, the bank is making you know a decent spread on your account, then you can start negotiating these reserves. So a couple of things when you're signing up with a new processor, you're reviewing your agreement with your processor is when you sign up and they say, let's say 10% reserve, which is a pretty standard amount for a lot of merchants that start out at 10, obviously, unless you're, you're doing, let's say eight figures a month and you can negotiate a little bit more. Um, capped reserves are an easy way, at least to limit your exposure. So say, for example, you're processing $100,000 per month and your bank recommends or your processor recommends 10%. You can say, okay, but can we cap it to, for example, 40K. So they'll collect 10% until they get to the 40K and then they stop collecting. So again, it just limits your exposure. You don't have to have them keep collecting that 10%. Um, and then you can figure out after they've collected that a repayment schedule, like meaning, okay, well, we're doing pretty good. Can we start getting half of that back and, and so on and so forth. So I definitely recommend that whenever you're negotiating reserves to always try include a, an amount that it's capped by something that makes sense usually is 50% of your first of your your monthly volume so if you're asking for a 100,000 processing cap well cap your reserve for example to 50k that that usually works uh, very well with most processors, but again, every merchant's different, every situation is different. Uh, but if you're doing fairly well and you know you have a decent amount of volume, 100K plus, then that, that usually is very reasonable. Um, you also have to keep in mind, you can negotiate reserves. Like you could say, you know what, I want 5%. And this also depends on how desperate you are um, to get the merchant account and so forth. So if, if you're a very aggressive marketer and you have you know not the best portfolio in terms of risk and, and chargeback, and so forth, then maybe not. But, you know, a lot of merchants are coming, for example, from Stripe and they're looking just for a better deal. They're looking to scale. Um, they're looking to, to get their own merchant accounts because there's a lot of benefits to getting your own merchant account versus working with Stripe or, or one of the big box processors. Um, I, I'll get into that just a little bit. So obviously, you know, having your own merchant account, you have your own, your checkout process is yours. You create it, you uh, get all the data from it. So collecting data throughout your whole checkout process is huge. Uh, secondly, you're probably going to pay less if you have, you know, decent chargeback rates and you, you can be a little bit more aggressive in your cart with your upsells and, and so forth. So um, huge, huge benefits to getting your merchant account uh, versus working with Stripe and so forth. You could always have Stripe and PayPal as backups, but your, your main processor shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be a third party unless you're just starting out. When you're just starting out, that's always, a, a, you know, it's always a good place to start because they're quick. Um, and allowing a reserve at the beginning, you know, just to clarify, is not a bad thing. Uh, a lot of times, you know, processors are reluctant to work with certain businesses or certain business models. So saying, hey, you know, we're open to reserve. If you guys want to collect a reserve for six months or three months or whatever, whatever makes sense, um, 
you know, open the door to that because once you get your foot in the door and you're working with a processor and you're doing well and they're making money off your account and uh, things are rolling, then, you know, they don't want to lose that account. So they'll be a lot more open to negotiating with you after you start processing. They're not, processors are not super excited about negotiation before they see your account, your volume and so forth. You know, processors and banks in general are conservative. So they want to be conservative when they onboard you, they wanna get to know you. And once they get to know you, then you can have a lot of concessions. If you're working with an agent, the agent should represent you and should, you know, come back to you with, you know, specific things that you can do to, to minimize your reserves, get your reserves paid back and so forth. So my last point really is when is it time to get reserves paid back? Well, I would say usually you have to wait at least six months after you start processing. And at that point, you have to see where you are in terms of chargeback rates and refund rates and so forth. Um, but if you've been processing, for example, like I have merchants that I work with that have been processing for years. They've never really looked at anything about their reserves. They just, they don't really pay attention because it's just something that they got used to. Um, if you've been, you know, if you had your business for more than a couple of years, I would definitely recommend doing, a, you know, kind of reconciliation of your reserves. It's really easy. All you have to do is contact your processors or your agents and say, hey, can you tell me how much reserves you're holding? Step one. So you ask what is the amount that they're holding? And then you just kind of take all your merchant accounts and, you know, you create a little spreadsheet writing how much they're holding. Um, then you have to know your numbers. So you have to know how much you're processing there, how much, how, what's your chargeback rate, what's your refund rate. And if you're doing fairly well, or if they have anything over 100% of your monthly cap, then it's time to ask for a payback. So if you're processing $100,000 per month and for some reason they're holding 150, 200, I mean, they have more money than what they need to cover one month of your sales, which doesn't really make much sense. So at least you should ask for the overage. If you've been processing for a couple of years and you know, you're staying you know, under your 1% or your performance is very stable. So even if it's over 1%, but you know, you've been stable at the same place uh, in terms of chargeback ratios and, and refund ratios, then you can start asking for some money to be re repaid. Again, you're, a sweet spot for a processor is usually 50% of your monthly cap. If they're holding that, they feel fairly confident. Usually most issues with merchants happen within a week. They see that there's something going on. So um, try to, you know, first take a note of how many, how much reserves everybody's holding. Secondly, know your numbers. And third, start going to them and asking for some of that back, but always make a reasonable ask. Like if you're at two and a half percent chargeback ratio and you're doing decent volume, you know, you can't go back and say, give me all of my reserves back because they need to have some kind of security to feel like, okay, well, um, you know, if shit hits the fan and your chargebacks increase or your refunds increase, or, um, you know, like when COVID hit, a lot of people weren't able to supply products and there was a lot of complaints and refunds and so forth. The bank needs to have these reserves to cover, uh, if you're not able to, to fulfill your agreement with customers. So, um, make it reasonable, you know, um, have a good relationship and keep an open communication and ask for things when it's time. Um, so on that note, uh, I, last but not least, errors can happen. So, you know, whether it's a bank, a processor, um, a gateway, your CRM, whatever it is, all these parties can have errors, can have timeouts, can have, uh, you know, typos and so forth that can make a huge difference for you and your business. So, I know that, you know, most of you are obviously, you know, tenured merchants that are 
reconciling with their bank statement, um, you know, and their processing statement. So, oh, okay. So we see on our processing statement, uh, we received 125K this month. Our bank statement says 125K. Great. We move on. That's not the reconciliation I'm talking about. That's an important reconciliation, but it's really reconciling from your bank account to your merchant statement, to your gateway, and then down to your CRM. Really like making sure all these numbers match. Uh, they don't always match to the exact dollar because there could be time zone difference, time zone differences and your batch, the transactions that you, you process today usually get batched and settled the next day. So there's like a day lag, but your merchant processing statement all the way down to your, your CRM should very closely match what you're processing in your sales. So make sure that you you do this uh, or you have somebody do it. It's it's a really important task. I've seen merchants, you know, get charged these random fees, you know, $1,000 for high risk fee or whatever the case is. And they have no idea. They had no idea that they were being charged this. Uh, and the only way to know is really to dig into your merchant statement and really understand what you're being charged. And sometimes these fees are valid. You know, I mean, if you go over your chargeback ratio and you get charged a fee, well, that's valid because the bank, the, the bank or the processor is passing it on to you because they they get charged when you have problems with chargebacks. Um, so I'm not saying, you know, anything malicious here, but you have to know your numbers. You have to know what you're being charged. And the first couple of statements, once you, that's the most important time. Once you sign up with a new processor, you get your first couple of new statements, um, the first, second, third month, you have to take your merchant account contract and compare what is on that contract to what is on your statement. There's, you know, agents inputting information from an application into their system can make a typo. Uh, there could be a misunderstanding and so on and so forth. So uh, keep that in mind. It's important for you to remember that reconciliation is key. Um, the first couple of months is tough because especially, you know, there's a lot of different prices, a lot of different fees and so forth. But once you get the hang of it, it's pretty simple. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's essentially, um, you know, what I have to say in terms of the fees and all the, the different breakdowns, the MCC, the reserves, there's a lot of work to be done there. Obviously this is not for a new business. So just to, just to clarify, this is not something that you want to be doing, you know, when you're starting out your business, this is some, something that you want to be doing when you're in the advanced basics of your business. Um, so I heard that, uh, about a year or so ago, it's like, you know, you get through your basics and then you get to your advanced basics and looking at your fees and really kind of minimizing your fees, minimizing your reserves, knowing your interchange rates, your MCC codes, that's your advanced basics. But this is easily something that could add, you know, a couple of percent to your bottom line. If you just pay a little bit of attention, you reconcile well, and you understand what's going on in your, your merchant statement, or you have your accounting and bookkeeper um, do it. It's, it's a very worthwhile exercise. Once you get it done a couple of times, two or three times, it, it really is very repetitive. It's very easy. It's, it's always the same thing. Once you understand, um, you know, all the, the fees and, and the structure. Um, so that's it for today. I hope I gave you guys a good uh, synopsis of the, the fees, the merchant account fees. I know that, you know, when you're looking at a statement, it's really confusing. Uh, I've seen thousands, if not millions of statements by now in my career. Um, and the first time I, I looked at a statement, I was like, what the hell is this? There was fees for everything. There was, you know, it was just, it was like they were trying to confuse me. So, uh, you know, banking is not 
not, you know, is not the most clear um, thing. And, you know, it could get a little bit um, overwhelming. But I do have to tell you that, you know, from experience and from working with merchants and, you know, uh, we do reconciliations for merchants. We help merchants with reconciliations and explaining statements and so forth. It's such a worthwhile exercise. Uh, I've seen people save, you know, two, three percent overnight uh, by by just, you know, hey, let's let's get some reserves back. Um, let's make sure our MCC is the correct one. Um, let's make sure we look at our discount rate. These are just like super simple things, a day or two of kind of organizing all this and you're, and you're good to go. Um, so I hope you found this information useful. And if you have any specific questions like, hey, what is this fee? How does how do how can I negotiate this or, or whatever the case is, or if you need some tools uh, for 3DS or any fraud prevention, feel free to hit me up, mariasparagas.com. That's my personal website. Or you can always go to directpaynet.com, which is uh, my company as well. So we'd be happy to help you. And thanks again for all your time. Have yourself a great day. Hope you found today's session valuable. If you have any questions for me or just want to connect, please feel free to visit my website, mariasparagis.com. That's M-A-R-I-A-S-P-A-R-A-G-I-S.com. I'd love to hear what you're working on. So drop me a line on any hot button issues your business is experiencing. And remember, don't worry about failure. You only have to be right once. 